All right, all right, all right. Good to see, good to be. It's your boy Dilly D, aka the Milky Bar Kid, hanging out here at Ferdy Dirk in uh, the center of the city. Um, welcome back to another episode of Grounded with Dilly Dave. Uh, this is a completely new thing that we're going to be playing around with, a bit of a live in the venue experience. We got some uh, killer guests coming up, uh, including DJ Foster. We got, uh, is it DJ Hybe as well? Foster's, like the beer. Without the apartment. Without the apartment. All right, nope. Yeah, no possession. Very good, very good. Um, but that will uh, that'll come in a little bit. I just want to take my time to kind of sink into this. Um, this will be the, the ninth or the tenth episode of this podcast. We've done a, done a lot in two months. Uh, we've talked with a lot of interesting and uh, well-tempered and uh, well-centered people, some balanced people, which can be something that's difficult to navigate and make happen in the scene. Um, but before we get really, truly grounded, I think it's important to acknowledge the sacred ground that we're on. So I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians, the keepers of the land, uh, here the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to pay my respects to elders, past, present, emerging. You know, just to let you know that sovereignty of the land was never ceded, no treaties were signed, and... You know, we should move forward with great awareness and gratitude if we want to share our stories on this space. So that's, uh, that's a really good way to get grounded is to acknowledge where we are, what has been, and that's going to help us with our intention moving forward. So thank you for that. Grounded with Dilly Dave. I thought I'd take a little bit of time just to talk about what's happening with the podcast, do some basic housekeeping um, cause you know, when you're doing a fresh thing, there's a lot of change. There's a lot of, a lot of different attempts, a lot of different ways to try and do the same thing, the thing. Um, so this podcast is going to be at, at least one episode a week, but generally two episodes a week. I'm aiming for Wednesday and Sunday releases 5 PM, um, it's gonna. It's already available on Spotify, on YouTube, on all of these platforms. It's interesting. Like I'm not sure exactly the best way for people to consume podcasts. For me, it is like a bit of a. It's sometimes it's audio that I like to listen to. It sometimes it's video. Um, so we're really gonna try and push to figure out how to do this video thing properly uh i've got a intern in the works so potentially next time you see a podcast up not this one but there will be a a new intern who will be able to maximize the level of production uh the efficiency of setup uh the seamless running of things so i'm very excited to to explore that so i just put the message out for that in one day and in 24 hours, two people came to me. So I just want to thank the universe for 
listening to my messages that I send out there from time to time. Um, also, this podcast has a playlist, a Spotify playlist, where artists or guests of the podcast give recommendations, whether it's their tracks or somebody else's in the scene. I want to keep this locked and loaded with some uh, fresh music, whether that's some boom back boom bap lyrical uh, bar heavy hits from somebody like Sixpence or whether it's uh, something with a bit more ethereal grace from somebody like Amutha. Um, I think it's really good when it comes to your music diet, your data diet. As with your normal analog diet, you got to keep it balanced. I know it's tough. You want to listen to the same thing over and over again. You want to gorge on whatever your flavor of the week is, but... You can't you can't fall into that trap because then you uh you forget how good everything is, you know. So that's my little uh little sentiment around our grounded tunes playlist. So that'll be in the description. But yeah, grounded tunes on Spotify. You'll see Ruckman. You'll see God. You'll see uh, Remedy. Uh, so many great artists. And that's gonna take me to my next next little um part of this podcast which is me kind of reflecting reflecting on some fun moments uh, from this podcast so far. So my intention with this podcast is, you know, with a podcast you want to have something that's entertaining, but as a guest of a music podcast, I don't want to try and outdo myself by being the funny guy. You know, you want to be able to allow the guests to really shine and have their moments. So... That kind of segues into my podcast with Remedy, great uh, R&B and pop kind of artist here in Melbourne who's, uh, she's probably like the queen of heartbreak, but in a really swaggy way, I would say. Um, But talking with her about haircuts and hairstyles and how bangs was really one of the low points in her life that she had during COVID, that was something that really resonated with me. You know, I think... We can all understand the effect of having, well, most of us, maybe not Henry who we'll be talking to later, but we can all understand the effect of having a tragic haircut and how that can really uh, affect us. But um, Remedy showed us how truly strong and resilient she is by uh, getting through COVID with bangs. So I really recommend you checking out episode six of the podcast with Remedy. She is a real hoot. Yeah. Another highlight for me was um, probably talking with Amutha, the first episode. Uh, Amutha is somebody who has no fear when it comes to diving into their own psyche. You know, she has no fear when it comes... Well, I mean, perceive... It, it seems like she has no fear jumping into her psyche and spending time with herself and kind of processing what is and what is not so I think Amutha's reflections on how she sets up her um, her to-do list as an agreement with the universe is very cool Um, she describes this way of uh, assigning tasks to herself and then a couple uh, to the universe in terms of things that are maybe a little bit outside of her control, but 
that she can still, you know, have, that she can still kind of have intention behind. And that's really cool. That's really, that was a great take on writing lists. You know, you've got one side of the list for yourself, things that you need to be aware of and, and have focus on and complete. And then the other side of that is organizing some things with the universe and allowing it to, uh, through synchronicity, organize it. So that was the first episode that I had with Amutha and that was a good time. I'm just going to open on my tablet right quick. We've got some minutes before we got these guests. Yay, yay, yay. So uh, if you're an audience of this podcast, um, I'd love feedback, you know, via comments or DMs in terms of what you think is kind of, you know, it could be opening Pandora's box here, but what you guys think kind of works or what is interesting about the podcast. Uh, do you want the capacity to ask some questions beforehand? You know, say, for example, I know I'm going to be having a podcast with Ruckman on a Friday. Do you want me to, on Wednesday, give a bit of a shout-out and see if I can collect some audience questions? Because that could be something that uh, would enrich the experience for both of us. You get the sense of being in the mix and having some contribution. And also, I get to do less work. And that's not necessarily what I'm here to do. I'm here to do the right amount of work. And often that means outsourcing to a fan base. So, let us keep that in mind. Going back to the, uh, the memorable moments or highlight moments from the podcast as well. One of the key moments I really enjoyed... Uh, was Shining Armor describing uh, the struggle of making a name for yourself uh, where he grew up, you know, in the scene and setting that he grew up. Um, and the fact that you were... The, the trials behind being an MC and being able to spit in front of a crowd and not being booed, for example, that was something that you had to work through in his scene. And... You know, his commentary or reflection on that is it kind of builds resilience and strength of of the person and their commitment to the craft, you know. It's very interesting because there is a contrast um, in in some scenes, depending on what you're doing. But, you know, with uh, rap being the example here, um, sometimes it is good for the scene to offer that instant feedback or reflection on where somebody's at in their performance because... You know, if you're putting your hand up and you're jumping on a mic and you're, you know, settling into a stage or a scene, you know, you are, in a way, offering yourself up for some uh, reflection and feedback. So I thought that was really cool of Shining to say that he's frustrated that some people get an easy past. And that was almost triggering for me because that certainly has been my um experience getting into the scene it was a lot of nods and yeses and nice work and you know when i know that there was plenty of room for growth and plenty of opportunities where somebody could have taught me something so big ups to shining armor i believe that was episode seven uh that's out so please go and check that out that was a really poignant 
moment for me. So um, this podcast is called Grounded. And grounded means uh, something different for everybody. For a particular age group, being grounded is getting in trouble with your folks. It's, it's a punishment. It's, uh, it's, forced, it's forced meditation. And um, even if we take that mindset, you know, approach right now, I still think that that works in a sense. You know, maybe we do need forced time out as an adult to truly contemplate our actions and to really to really dig behind the why and and the why behind what we're doing so i actually think that the idea of being grounded from a parent is something that's entertaining if we become our own parent in the sense of putting ourselves in a timeout for reflection that's where uh that's where you really get to know yourself when you are on your own trying to hone your thoughts getting grounded so it's better to ground yourself before another adult has to come across and tell you off and ground you because that could be the police and it could be the back of it could be the dibby van for all we know so better to get the grounding out of the way just do it in the morning and by the time you hit the pt nothing's going to mess with your day you know It's very interesting. Another way of, of grounding oneself, you know, the simplest method of grounding oneself is to be as a tree and take your socks off. And just obviously you want to consider the odor of the socks because that can and has been a problem for people in the past. But if you've cleared the air around you, take those stanky socks off and plant those hobbit feet into the, into the rich dirt, which will really... It kind of it's it's almost like putting water on your face. I feel like earth to the feet is a similar experience to water to the face, and we don't often try and wake our feet up. But uh, if I was a foot and I was stuck inside of a shoe and sock um, for my whole day, I would probably I would I would be pretty keen for that dirt in the face. You know what I mean? I would be really be really considering the fact that if I am in the stanky space, you're either going to sleep or you're hanging out for the shower. The shower is, I guess, the other example of um, <laughs> water to the face, just water to the feet. But uh, I think the true grounding comes from planting oneself. It can be sand, it can be dirt, but it has to be granular because, uh, you know, we talk about safe spaces and... Um, people having soft upbringings and uh, coddling and all these ideas, but maybe your feet haven't really seen what life. Maybe your feet haven't really experienced the grit and harshness of the world. Maybe your feet are out of touch, you know, and I think that's something that's, that should be considered weekly, planting one's feet. Another great way to get grounded is to is to hold your own hands. And it doesn't have to be in a prayer stance or form, but that is, can be helpful. Whether it's one, two, three fingers intertwined or interlocked, um, being able to hold on to yourself 
is a nurturing form of grounding. You know, uh, you're showing yourself care and you're really bringing yourself into the physical space right now. Um, and I think that that's very important. And for all those chair thieves out there, I don't consider you a thief. I consider you um, a traveler and somebody who is supplying a stool for others. And I think that's a, a generous endeavor. Hey, why not t- take one, take five, you know? Like, that's all good. You're good, man. We've got our resident chair wrangler here at 30. If there's any uh, spare chairs going around, there soon won't be. Yeah. Yeah, they walk a lot and then they sit for a bit. And they drink. Yeah, there we go. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. I mean... A lot of people have got their asses kicked over a uh, abandoned or not abandoned seat. You know, a couple of drinks have been spilt over that. Um, just uh, quick shout outs to one of the cool people behind this production. Uh, a fresh face for, in terms of somebody that I've worked with, is Sadiva. So shout outs to Sadiva for holding this down here at Ferdy Dirk all the time, resident, resident booker um, and all around just dope DJ. And a facilitator, a mediator, a, uh, a uh, sorceress of the music, if you will. Um, but yeah, this got set up real quick. And the fact they're able to do this in the first place is because Sadiva's committed to the scene, the community. She understands that it's more important to connect other people than to serve oneself and that is just something that is real and visceral and nice. So I really appreciate that. And this is going to be the first episode of, look, however many episodes this is here at 30. You know, the vibes and the setup and the, and the team is real, you know. And we're going to be talking a little bit about this with our special guest today. But the fact that, um, you know, the solo versus the, the community and the different approaches and mindsets and how that really all ties together and I think that's something that's always been interesting for me is one building up my own thing my own identity and my own name on a stage but how many stages can you get to if you're only out there trying to serve yourself you know I think it's uh, it's very important to trade skills time and stage time and all of this with anyone that you can because uh I think one of my ideas behind people and and music is it should be so universal and something that everyone feels comfortable engaging with. It's not a talent thing. It's not something that, you know, you have to be intrinsically tuned in or special to, to get it or do it. It's something that has kept us connected forever. You know, these are universal frequencies these are our forms of communication uh, the way that we tell stories and communicate ideas you know without everyone being able to tap into this music thing would be it'd be you know imagine if there was a a true hierarchy to it you know that would be horrible imagine if there was some true gatekeepers to it because i don't think you can really completely gate gatekeep something like music you know so um, yeah, well, that's why you won't see a big label on my goddamn podcast, okay? 
Not on my watch. Only for the little guys. Anyone, anyone over 6'2 is not allowed on this podcast. Isn't that right? <laughs> yeah. That's it. Shout out to Sadiva, 5'4. Really holding it down. Granted as hell. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to do a quick reset and then we're going to get right back into it with DJ Foster's. Yeah. Hey. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So welcome back. We've just reset. Um, I had a little bit of an intro setting up this, um, this little guest segment, but I'd like to welcome to Grounded with Dilly Dave, DJ Foster's. Hello. Hello. And uh, DJ That's so- Sodoku. That's Soku. Hello, hello. Yeah, that's me. DJ. Uh, yeah, people do get confused with the pronunciation of that. So, yeah, just to give you guys a bit insight, Datsuzoku is Japanese. And yeah. um, it's derived from one of the principles of Zen Buddhism. Ah. And uh, it means breaking your routine to delve into something more creative, like reinterpret your uh, surroundings mm. by delving into something creative kind of thing. That's great, yeah. That the the moment where the the patterns and structures of every day have kind of like dissolved, and there's this new, fresh area to explore. Yeah, true. Like I'm an engineer by trade. Yeah, so yeah. I'm coming straight from work. looking the part. <laughs> yeah. You don't look like too much of a DJ right now. Yeah. So <laughs> that Sudoku is my breaking the routine. That's Sudoku. That's cool. That's really great. Um, well, welcome. Uh, this is the first time that we've you know had face to faces. Um, so this is generally exciting for me. I'm kind of a bit of an extrovert, so generally these um, social interactions are fun. I do have a couple questions just to get to know both of you a little bit better, and I'm happy to kind of uh, start off and go first. So what I was thinking is uh, a little bit of who you are, where you're from, where you are now, and then um, favorite way to unwind and your current speciality. So myself, um, I grew up in Kirirap, you know, down deep southeast. Galakirna country, buddy. There you go, there East it is. East Gippsland. Yeah, East Gippsland, yep. Um, so, and now I'm in, in Pascavel. Uh, I would say my favorite way to unwind is by um, submerging my face in warm puddles of water. In a in a basin, um, and my current speciality is uh, banter. Oh yeah, <laughs> I would say that's a good one to have, man. Um, please take it away. Um, well, my name is Steve, yeah, um, and I was born and raised in India. I moved to Melbourne five years ago, uh, around in 2015. My speciality, uh, well. I don't know, man. Like, I mean, uh, I'm a music selector and a techni- and I've got a technical mind as well. So, yeah. engineer by trade, music selector by passion, um, and a DJ as well. And um, what do I do to unwind? I love listening to jazz music. So, when I come back home, I'm a record collector as well. I love collecting Bax records. Yeah. I play rarities when I'm back home. Have a nice glass of wine or whiskey to go with and then just unwind. So the real answer was wine and whiskey wine was and how you wind down. Double whiskey. <laughs> Double whiskey. Double whiskey. Yeah. Neat, neat. <laughs> yes. No blocks. 
Yeah, cool. Uh, what about yourself? Uh, yeah, um, DJ Fosters. Um, I've came into the scene fairly late at 29. Um, you know, when you speak to groundedness, I think what was really important for me to be able to tackle this scene was uh, that I firstly matured as a human being. Right. That I got some of that toxic stuff out of my system, including yeah. substance use, including uh, a lot of partying, a lot of, uh, a lot of fun yeah. in my 20s. But if I, if I knew that if I wanted to tackle a scene that's as beastly um, and as um, challenging as the scene here is in Melbourne, um, I'd, I'd have to have my head screwed on in the right way and I'd have to be grounded enough mm. in my ego and in myself and in my own self-worth to be able to navigate some of the complex spaces that come in, in the industry um, here in Melbourne and not just Melbourne locally but also, you know, more broadly. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to, to speak to how, um, how I unwind, well, I, I work in Aboriginal community. Um, I worked for seven years in child protection, quite a heavy job. Um, big shout out to VACA, the Victorian Aboriginal Child Care Agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I've moved over slowly to work in the education space. And uh, I think DJing for me is, is a way for me to unwind. It's a, it is a real therapeutic outlet for me to be able to wash off a lot of the heavy... Uh, a lot of the heavy topics and a lot of the heaviness that I come across in the industry that I, uh, that I work during right. the day. Um, and it's a way for me to wash that off in a, in a healthy way. So you um, can set a mood and a tone for yourself through, through, through doing the DJ Set style. a mood and a tone for myself, but also know that uh, I'm, I'm setting an example for my kids by navigating a scene like this in a healthy way. Yeah, I'm not relying. Right. I'm not relying on alcohol. I'm not relying on the the kind of the the kind of toxic stuff that can often come through the industry that can sure. have an impact on people's ability to be able to um, thrive and prosper. Mm. Um, I want my children to be able to see that you can stay out late at night and you can navigate this scene without having to turn to things like that, um, and and you can thrive and you can be successful. Yeah, I actually really like the framing of the scene that you put there, Henry, like it being a beast. And, you know, I think anything worthwhile in terms of endeavor or challenge should be seen as something like a, a beast or a, or a monster or a big undertaking. Um, because if you don't take it seriously, you won't try and change yourself to a point where you can uh, respectably you know, do your craft. And, you know, I don't think that that's a common mentality, especially uh, behind noteworthy DJs, where it's like, well, the sentiment is um, engaging with this crazy beast, but um, having respect for it and myself at the same time. Yeah. I, I agree. It's You say the word respect. It's, a, it's about respecting the scene for what it is, respecting your position in the scene, and not exploiting those opportunities, but also not letting the scene exploit you. Mm. And I know for myself that the moment I, can, I get myself into a place where um, I allow myself to drink, I allow myself to let my hair down a little bit, I lo- I, my inhibitions lessen and that opens up opportunities for me to become 
too allow myself to become too vulnerable in the scene and I need to ensure that the way that I approach things I'm bringing my best self to it yeah. not just so I can get the gigs that I want but also so that the networking that I'm doing is actually effective because there's mm. only a number of hours at night time and the music's so loud right. and I can't I can't speak to people when there's a, when there's speakers in my face and no. so those few short fleeting moments where I can effectively network with people, I want to ensure that I've done that networking to the best of my ability. There's a, there's a quote from Breaking Bad, no more half measures. Mm. You've got to be full measured. I'm not going to bring right. half of myself to this game. I need to bring my full self. And the only yeah. way that I can bring my full self is to know my self-worth. And I know my self-worth, and that includes not bringing myself down through some of the toxic stuff that can be in that can come in the scene. Right, and that can be just general drama, bullshit, substance abuse, or, or I guess, just encouraging uh, degenerate behaviour, whether that's being aggressive or anything like that. I mean, Steve, of, of all uh, trades to engage with, when it comes to being a DJ, um, you know, do you feel like your role is to really generate and control energy and people in a room or are you kind of just there to do your thing and there's a lot more chance and randomness involved if that makes any sense That's good question, question. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, very well put man uh, thanks questions very well articulated like in my view it's not just about DJ as an individual it's about the night it's about the experience right so I try to get to the venue way before my slot comes up uh, so that I can see how people are responding mm. to the music and ho- what they are feeling at the moment. Yeah. What, and when my turn comes up or when my slot comes up, I just try to flow in sound and elevate vibrations mm. that people can resonate with. And so can I. Right. But you're kind of saying you have to get there first... And tune and get yourself dialed into that room, that space, those people, because uh, you know may, maybe they're the ones that are directing the energy and not you. Maybe you have to follow them. Like, is is that part of it? Like a, a bit of a back and forth, like a bit of a tug yeah. and war between who's who's kind of actually controlling what's happening in the room. Or? So it's more about gauging it first, okay. so that you can direct. You know, like reading the room. One of the principles of DJing just reading the room and lead them to a great night yeah it's it, it's that's really well put Steve I, I think sometimes you know I think what like what I've experienced is as as gigs have increased and my profiles increased those opportunities to turn up to venues half hour 45 minutes before you're set so you can capture the vibe to put yourself in the best position to execute your set effectively, mm, yeah. um, those opportunities become less and less because I'll finish one set at one o'clock and then my next set starting at two right. on the other side of the city. So I'm, I'm rocking up to places five minutes before my set. Yeah. And that's, you know, the, the fun that comes with knowing that you're multiple booked in one night is, is fantastic. But what gets lost in translation are sometimes those opportunities to capture what's happening and capture the vibe. Look, at the end of the day, there's, it's a very unique experience walking into a club sober at 2 o'clock in the morning 
whilst the place is at full throttle, yeah. knowing that you're going to play in front of 200, 250 people and you're going to spend the next two hours of the night setting it up for them, yeah. you know, yeah. or, or complementing what's already occurred through the night. Mm. Right. And I don't take that for granted. Mm. And, it's, and it's a privilege. It is absolutely a privilege. And, like, I need to bring my best self to that. You mm. need to bring your best self to that. Mm. And, you know, if, if, if you can have an opportunity to capture the vibe of the night before you jump on, uh, I'll, I'll always, um, I'll always uh, embrace those opportunities. Right. The last thing I'd ever want to do in a scene like this is become complacent. Yeah. And I've seen that happen. You know, you do the same sets. It's the same dance floors. It's the same kind of sets. And naturally, you can become complacent. But I think that's dangerous. And I think that sets you up to kind of just end up becoming part of the noise. Mm. And when you want to stand yeah, out as an okay. individual, as your identity as a DJ, and what you play and what you stand for and the value system that you bring to what you do, you, you need to pay attention to that stuff. Yeah. You need to be mindful. So, Henry, you talked a little bit uh, before about how you developed yourself and your identity before you were able to really come out and embrace and tackle the scene. How did that look like for yourself, Steve? Like... What things were you trying to put together for yourself as a DJ um, to even be able to feel like you have something to show and share with other people? Like, what what, what has gone into creating your identity well, as a uh, DJ? Um, so I have had a few phases where I had different alter egos. I started yeah. DJing around 2013. Okay. Yep. B- back in India. And there I used cool. to DJ like initially as myself and then um, I wanted to keep my personal and professional and passion separate. Yeah. So I started something called Sublimation. The intention of Sublimation was, it was a duo act and the intention was to create a journey that helps people transcend or sublime. Powerful, yes. Right? Uh, so it was That's some strong intention. So um, I come from a city... Where I was raised, it's a city called Indore. It was a tier two city as compared to the rest in the country. And um, education of eclectic electronic music was rare. Okay. And there were not a lot of people like us who wanted to enjoy that music or, you know, there were not a lot of venues like that over there. Right. So it was still very much the music that was already existing inside that culture that was yeah that it was, was going to be played um, or commercial and I, I wouldn't say commercial but very well known like Psytrance okay. yeah um, and you say techno but you know like not techno techno it was more big room EDM yeah kind of stuff you know um, and then slowly gradually we started transcending into down tempo like playing like you know 12 o'clock a down tempo set 12 o'clock in the night in a club which is used to play right um commercial big room edm popping off and Mm. that's (laughs) that was the starting point eventually people started to resonate with it it flew right then when i moved overseas when i moved to australia i thought i gotta you know like reinvest or continue exploring my passion of you know like being a selector or listening to great sounds and sharing them with people. Yeah. No other reason, to be honest. And that's how Datsuzoku came in the picture. Yeah. Where I was not pursuing the genres that I used to pursue and I just widened the horizon 
like to almost anything and everything like right disco house funk soul boogie um you say break beats yeah um, yeah melodic progressive all of it but then it was more more like um expressing what i feel through sound right yeah it's i mean it, it's kind of what you said at the beginning of the podcast around not pigeonholing yourself with one particular genre of music and you know i think that's is a very perfect example of some of a, of a dj who um to your credit ha- broaden your your taste in music and your and 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 allowed yourself to have such freedom around what you choose to listen to that you know when i say you're one of the best tune selectors i've ever come across it is it is absolutely because of that philosophy that you talk about is mm. being proactive around widening your own perspective and not pigeonholing yourself into a particular style or a particular image or a particular genre of music right because i guess in a way if you're staying inside uh one of those styles um, or, or capsules or shells, then it's actually harder to have this journey, you know, where you're going places. Yeah. And it sounds like that's what you're really dialing into. Um, yay, what's going on? Good to see everybody. Welcome to the scene. DJ! No, no worries. All right. So, DJ Hype! DJ Hype! So welcome, DJ Hybe. Um, I am Dilly Dave. Nice to meet you, Dilly Dave. It's fucking great to know you. I've got really clammy hands. Uh, one of my one of my true Achilles heels is the uh, sweatiness of my palms. So if we get past that, then we should be fine. You're going to cross right or cross left, and we're going to be like a butterfly. This is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, beautiful. Look at that. So what I'll do um, uh, well, when, we're, when we're talking, we'll share the mic. We'll share this one. Um, so just quickly, if you want to let us know who you are, where you're from, where you are now, right? And then uh, how you like to unwind at the end of the day. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me, first of all, and uh, glad to be here. My name is Karan Acharya. Um, I'm from India originally. Came to Melbourne almost six years back now. Um, came to study in RMIT, not too far from here. Did my Master's of Engineering. Um, fell in love with music scene here. Sorry, I'm just panting because I came running here. Oh, gee whiz. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fell in love with, absolutely fell in love with the music scene of Melbourne. There was just something about it. Um, I used to play a lot more commercial stuff before, but when I came here, just the underground scene kind of drew me to it. Um, so, yeah, I, that's kind of me. And what do I do to unwind? I... Pretty much just like to play futsal with my friends, just like have a kick about, a bit of fresh air, and uh, also love watching movies. So with my housemates, we watch a couple of movies every now and again. Good way to just end the day. I love that. Um, unwinding by, by playing futsal. Yeah. That's how I'd wind <laughs> up. <laughs> I, 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 I knew that was coming, and that's why I was like... I added to it. I'm like, good to get a bit of fresh air. (laughs) (laughs) So I play futsal outside. Um, Cool. So I guess what we're talking about is uh, a little bit of how the individual, the individual, um, the identity of the individual as a DJ, like how it's important to kind of put that together before you bring it into like the scene or, or community, like, um, Henry was talking about how 
you know, he really entered the scene when he was 29 and kind of was taking it seriously then after he'd already developed a lot as, um, as an adult, you know, as a person. the only way I could have done it. The thing right. is, is like, if, if I tried to tackle this scene in my 20s when I was doing some of the stuff that I was doing, I would have not only burnt myself out, yeah. but it would have been detrimental to my emotional health and well-being. And yeah. that would have been the complete antithesis to my entire philosophy as to how music actually serves me as an individual, which mm. music is healing for me. And if I had tack- tried to tackle the scene of music or this kind of music whilst I was still going about whatever I was doing, it would have been, I would have done myself a disservice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, it's, it's, um, whenever you try and, you know, adopt and, and pursue a path, if you haven't really set, you know, the goal of intention and, and where you want to go, like, you, you can't just throw yourself into the fray, right? If you don't understand the, we got Porsche, our resident DOP in the house. She's recently had a crazy exhibition down at Radio Bar. Shout outs to Porsche in the house. <laughs> Big Ow. shout out to Radio Bar. <laughs> shout out to Radio Bar. Bless. Um, but I think uh, I'm really interested in all of your uh, stories in terms of how you entered in the Melbourne community and what that looked like. So, D- uh, DJ Hub, if you want to go first, if you want to kind of talk about. Um, what you were doing before you entered the scene and then how you entered the scene. Lovely question. And um, I really like what Henry had to say too. So my story was, I obviously, I feel like pretty much anyone out there, most artists, musicians, I always say the best DJs come from the dance floor. So I, I was always on the dance floor. Any events back home, whether it was in India or here, I was vibing to heaps of electronic music genres. It started off with a lot more commercial tunes, EDM, all the big DJs, Avicii, Tiesto, Who's Who. All of those, those kind of big festivals drew me to the scene. Just everything good about it is euphoric, happy, brought people together. And that's what made me happy, the music and the happy environment. Um, so that drew me to it. And then I was like, why not play the tunes? Why not be the person who makes people happy? And that kind of made me want to get into DJing, so to speak. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how my musical journey started back home. But then when I came to Melbourne, it was a totally different scene. It was like, there's such a diverse range of music here and sounds that I've never, ever heard before. And I don't think I would have if I had not come here. And I absolutely fell in love with the scene the moment I got here, as cliche as it might sound. Um, And coming to what Henry said, I'm glad I got to meet him. I, I think Steve would also agree with me. Like He's probably been the best mentor we could have ever asked for. He got us into the scene and um, so I kind of got into it in my 20s and it's very easy to get distracted and go go in so many different parts but Henry is kind of, in a way, he doesn't do it directly but he always tries to guide us in the right path which is awesome. So I'm kind of finding out this musical journey in my 20s with an amazing mentor and it's I'm only heading in the right direction and that's kind of like if, if I could give anyone like a, a advice, find a good mentor who will direct you in the right direction and that's kind of the best way to go so through Henry we got the radio show going we got to meet amazing other artists um, and yeah we started uh, getting inspired by them and that's how my music and I feel like my music is changing every year every every few years I feel like it's constantly developing and I think it's the same thing for most musicians so uh, it's definitely not the end of what my sound is going to sound like and I feel like it's constantly going to adapt 
to what I feel like at the moment. So, yeah, I think that kind of sums it up. That's brilliant, and it did. Uh, Steve, do you want to talk us through um, how you entered the, the Melbourne community and scene? Oh, well, it all started from RMIT. <laughs> Yeah. Shout out so, to even I went yeah. to RMIT, so it's all good. Hey. So, so me and Karan, we were batchmates. We we cool. did the same bachelorettes. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It was a, it was a bad joke. But leveling up, leveling yeah. up. So yeah, um, we started with the radio. I think the uni frequency radio. Um, we, we we started DJing for RMIT, and then um, from there, like for me. Introduction to Melbourne scene, it's all because of Henry, <laughs> because it's so funny, mate. Like, I was in Melbourne and he was in India. <laughs> yeah, right. And I dropped him a message saying that, hey, man, I just um, came across your playlist and it's dope. Like, you know, I, I would want to see you play live. And he's like, yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, sure, man. Um, I'm in India at the moment. And I was like, oh, really? Are you in India? And like, yeah, so he goes, okay, I'll come back and let's hang out. And then we met... A tramp. A tramp, yeah. The there you go. It was, that was fun. Nice, brave to admit it, but there yeah, we go. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, like, a couple of gigs um, from music enthusiasts. We started becoming friends and then family eventually. Mm. And then he started guiding us as well that how we should pursue because he's more experienced in the scene. He's seen things in and out. Uh, then we started co-hosting the show with him at with Kiss. Yeah. And then a couple of gigs here and there. Um, yeah, the whole journey has been more um, uh, directed towards finding my own self as a musician. Mm. Because DJing was not my first preference. Sure. It's something that came about. Um, yeah. And uh, whilst exploring all these genres, I'm just excited to see where I'll end up landing when I start producing. Yeah, right. So you're doing a lot of field... A lot of field research. Field research. Yeah. 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 That's great. Henry, you know, these guys are kind of big upping you as a mentor in the uh, in the scene. Did you have somebody that was kind of like a mentor figure that, that you that you're, in a way, not necessarily emulating but taking from? Yeah. I, um, you know, I grew up a metalhead. So mm, most of the music that's inspired me uh, up until I turned 18, where it was a lot of metal bands, obviously, like Metallica, Machine Head, Killswitch Engage, yeah. Slipknot, um, Opeth, Tool. Uh, of course, incredible. Tool, shout-outs, Tool. Um, their, new al- their new album is 2019, but it's incredible. Um, hey. Fear Inoculum. But um, I, I, so I grew up listening to metal, and then um, when I turned 18 in 2004, it, and I finished high school, the Ministry of Sound annual CDs were becoming very popular. Lola's yeah, theme, true. Stupid Disco, Four to the Floor, G Minor, all of these tracks became very mainstream. And I just, I, I just fell in love with the music. Um, but like I said, for me to go from 2004 to kind of like 2015 where I actually gave DJing a good shot, a proper shot, I had fantasies for a lot of years around... I remember one night I was at the old Two Floors Up and I saw DJ Charty play this killer set. And then at the end of his set, he, he didn't hang around. He packed his stuff up. And then I saw him make a V-line for the, for the, directly for the exit. And I realized to myself, I'm like, oh, he's, he's about to go and do the same thing that mm. he's just done for the last two hours mm. somewhere else. I want to do that. And then I played guitar for 15 years. I played piano for 20 years. DJing for me, 
I simply saw it as another musical instrument that I just wanted to conquer. Um, and when, when I started getting over my kind of early to mid-twenties doing my partying stuff, it was Luke McD. Right. Doing Lounge Bar on Fridays yeah. in 2010 and watching Luke McD cross house and techno genres in a seamless manner mm. whilst holding the dance floor and holding that space for everybody that truly inspired me. And then from Luke McD kind of became Spacey Space has really been okay. instrumental in me recognizing the way I mean man Spacey Space can like start a, a set to an empty dance floor and just get all the girls dancing mm, which is the most important and, and part of being a DJ yeah no but like but like, it, but like he'll, I've seen him like no one's dancing yet hey. he doesn't necessarily play tracks that would be much of a point of difference to what someone like myself might play or somebody else might play mm. but the way he executes it just gets everybody going straight away and like, so between Spacey Space and Luke McD, very big inspirations on my style of DJing. And yeah. if you hear me play, I don't want to stick to one electronic, electronic genre of music. I want to be able to go from Afro House to a Tech House track yeah. and it be seamless for the audience. Right, yeah. right. Something that shouldn't naturally go together. You want to create this 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 very yeah seamless bridge. or so A seamless bridge, but also like recognizing more and more as the scene changes through the years about recognizing those little nuances that have changed for example right some more finger on the pulse kind yeah, of yeah like pre covid you could play a 2 hour set you could play an average song during that 2 hour set and the dance floor would be like oh it's an average song but uh, i'm not going to stick around mm. post covid the attention spans of 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 an audience have, have lessened so much. And it's not just COVID, it's social media, right. it's algorithms, it's 20-second TikTok videos, it's 10-second yeah. Instagram videos. It's changed people's mindsets when it comes to consumption and how they consume what they listen to. Mm. And now, if I play a two-hour set and I play one song in that set that people don't like, I might lose the whole dance floor. So, and then I spend yeah. the rest of the set trying to rebuild the momentum of the set. Right, like, so a, like a, a stand-up comedian who's bombing or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's about like recognizing those nuances and, and adapting and adjusting the way that you present yourself through those changes. Yeah. And embracing those changes, even though it kind of pisses me off mm. that you play a two-hour set, you play one wrong song, you lose the whole dance floor. Right. You know what I mean? You, you still could, have you to adapt You choose to get mad about it. They're the consumers. Yeah. I'm the presenter. Yeah, yeah. It's not my place to to dictate to the audience the way that I want to present what I want to present. Yeah. When they're out spending money on drinks and spending money on their night out. Yeah. I want to be able to embrace what they want to be able to hear through that night. It's unfortunately a bit like the retail situation where, you know, customer is king. You know, yeah. and, you, and you never want to hear that if you're working in retail. But it's a the sim- customer's always right. Yeah, but unless you, they request a crap song, and <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well you're wrong. Well said. Um, so you were giving some examples of inspirations, um, but was there an actual mentor, somebody who kind of guided or instructed or gave you an entry into the scene like you did for these guys? For yeah, you, it's a good. Uh, yeah, I think. Um, or, or you did you kind of create this role? 
for yourself being like you know what there wasn't somebody there for me to take the lead and like open doors so I, or was that a byproduct of work that you were doing outside of being a DJ that you yeah, kind of Yeah, I that? think that's a really good question, Dave. And I, um, it's probably a bit of a combination of both. But, you know, I really... It was very much self-driven. But because I was older, the self-driven element of it, I found was a little bit easier. Um, what I find difficult now is, at 37, being someone who has to worry about image... Mm. who has to worry about whether he fits in. I know that if I wasn't yeah. DJing at 37, I wouldn't have the anxiety that I, that I often cop. Overthinking yeah, about these things. Right. I know if I was 37 and I was not DJing, I would live a, a life where um, I am v- I'm more grounded. Yeah. But because I choose to do what I do, I have to navigate that space. And I have to look after myself. And I don't really have mentors around that. It's just simply me yeah. being self-aware enough to manage how full my bucket gets and going, okay, my bucket's too full. I need to take the time that I need to take to be able to, you know, minimize, you know, what's in that bucket. Cool. I love that. Uh, what I'll do now, like I'll, I'll go around kind of the circle, but I guess the, the question is, um, what is, what is the role of, the community for DJs and how can DJs access and use that to, I guess, become better, you know? What do you think, DJ Herb? Um, well, I think community is crucial for the growth and development of a DJ per se because we just spoke about how cus- consumer, customer is king and kind of most of what we do, as much as we love music for what it is, we're kind of trying to make other people happy and we're kind of trying to please other people. So we're always out there for as much feedback as we can get, whether it's good or bad. Um, good feedback obviously motivates us to do better, but the bad feedback, in the, taken in the right way, will obviously, again, make us get better, correct our wrongs, and become better versions of what we were before. So, Well said. Yeah, so uh, I think um, having any sort of critiques, whether they're good or bad around us, is very, very crucial for the growth of an artist. Um, whether it's on social media... I am I'm not too always too in for random comments, hate, like comments on socials, but people have a voice and they have every right to put what they want to. And it's about you whether you want to perceive it in which way. But as I said, you can take it, you can get good comments, bad comments, but you can, if you take it in the right way and take it in a good stead, you can only develop and grow from there. Cool, that's great. So kind of using community as like a bit of a feedback loop to kind of check and help you with your craft and how that can grow. But not taking what happens online in the comment section too seriously, but looking into it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And it's, in a way, it tends to affect you and it affects anyone. If you're human, it's going to affect you. Um, more often than not, it does affect me too. But I feel like if we look at it in this mindset and be like, okay, they said it for a reason and let's take it in a good mindset, let's laugh about it and think about it, Everyone's gonna. It's it's gonna end well for both parties. Totally well said. What are the thoughts, Steve? <laughs> well, I think Hyber summarized most of it. I'd just say that um, when you're talking about community, you're talking about people in general, right? And including yourself, like or all the artists. Yeah, totally. Right? Yep. So I think it just allows us to be open to perspective. 
Yeah, and yeah. it works both ways. So when you're playing something new, you are providing the audience or people who are listening to the sound, you're, you're, you're exposing them to something that they've not been exposed to. Mm, this novel, fresh thing. That's right. And uh, the feedback, um, I think sometimes what happens, people take it too personally, like Hype said, that oh yeah, people didn't like it. It was new to them. So, like, mm. if, if we don't make it about ourselves, but just about the craft in itself, right. and our belief system in the craft. Right. You know? Like, I think yeah. it, that helps us um, steer towards becoming a leader instead of a dictator. Because there's a fine line in between both. So, when you're on the dance mm. floor, you're leading the crowd instead of dictating the crowd. Yeah, you yeah, could come yeah. across as someone. Oh no, I'm gonna play just melodic techno. This is my thing. I'm a producer, and this is what I'm gonna do. People are there to have a good night, right? They might not be re- very appreciative of it. Yeah, you can't necessarily use it purely as a testing ground. You have to have a few, a few of those tricks up up your sleeve yeah. to know how to like command and and uh, lead. Le- but yeah, if you're if you're trying to take lead and you're um, showing them dance moves they've never seen before, they might not be able to follow right away. You, you know, as as an example, right? Yeah. True, true. Resonate like when you say when you feel your music, right? Like when I'm on the floor, when I'm I'm playing music, you could see that I'm dancing like crazy. Mm. You know? It's more about visual and auditory response. So like when people have not heard something, if you do something that resonates with the sound, it gives them a visual perspective. Uh, even if they're not familiar with the thing, if you connect it in the right way, yeah, yeah you can introduce it, it and really kind of like make it hit. It's guiding them. I'm not sure if you've seen this video um, and it got really viral. There was this artist and he used to play on... Uh, he's done a few sets with Tomorrowland and he okay. would just go bonkers. Right. You know, like... Post the Put wall. your hands up in the air and XYZ. These yeah. things have been happening over decades. How did this come about? Right, right. People were guided through it. That's right. Yeah. So uh, I think community plays a very important role, being your support system. But it works both ways. You know? like, yeah. Cool. Well said. What are yeah, you doing, Henry? Think, uh, you know, when you talk about community, for me, it's, uh, it's about not just the dance community it's also about for me aboriginal community hey. how i can advocate through my platform and and the profile that i have how i can advocate for for social issues for aboriginal issues for, um, for being able to raise awareness around some of the toxicity that can occur in the scene and i you know you you, you talk about leadership and i think a part of a part of leadership is is by leading by example yeah. and and Leadership doesn't necessarily have to be going, look, this is me, so follow what I do. Mm. It's about embracing people that are coming up through the next wave. Uh, you know, yeah. the reason why this party is called Connections that we're going to run this weekend is is the connections that I've made with these two fellas are big. I know when I got into the scene at 29, I already knew by then, I was mature enough to know that and recognize that my time's limited. Right. You know, I, I wasn't I'm not young anymore. I didn't feel invincible. I wasn't invincible. So how can I create a platform for myself but then pass the baton yeah. onto 
friends yeah. or, 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 or people that I respect in terms of their music? How can I pass the bet and, and pay it forward in a way that when I leave and I go and do my own thing, I can look back at the scene and go, okay, I've left a little bit of a mark mm. in a positive way yeah. to see people embrace and share the same attitudes towards the scene that I share. Yeah, I guess you're, you're reinforcing, um, you know, behavior and how to carry yourself. And I guess, um, you know, being able to, you know, you say lead by example, but if you're just able to embody your own um, ethics and ideas and you know, stand on the on the ground of what you believe in and people just see and witness that, often that's that's enough. And, you know, not everyone may actually think that the role of a DJ has um, that aspect or component to it, but I think that the role of the DJ is really whatever you want it to be. And you can make it something that exists both on and off the, the dance floor or in the bar or the club. Um, and especially when you're helping other people engage in that craft in a positive way so for me this has been kind of enlightening because look i know i do have dj friends and i I do know that you know if when you dj as a group of friends that even that experience within itself is is kind of like is a boost for everyone involved right as opposed to doing it on your own um but if you're actually trying to you know have an example in the in the scene or the field then that's uh that's a greater calling and i think that's that's super dope. I think, you know, often in this... A long... A short time in this scene is a long time. Hey. You know, for example, like, I've... I, I, uh, you know, a couple of months might pass without a big gig for me, and I get anxious, and I start overthinking and thinking, oh, have I... You know, I start going into self-preservation mode. Yeah. And it's not so much about having to go into self-preservation I shouldn't so much go into self-preservation mode. It should be more about what I can do to elevate myself to that next level without worrying too much about the noise Mm. that might get so much in my head, it ends up interfering in my ability to be able to move forward. And that's just excess... um self-reflection or just getting too much in your head in a sense is self, that kind of what's that yeah is? it's about self-awareness yeah. and it's about self-worth yeah and actually that's right. what i was gonna say it's not it's not i shouldn't think so much about self-preservation it's about self-respect right. i keep myself in particular circles in the same scene because i know that those people embrace me and support me and have the right intent to in their way of wanting to prop me up to where i want to get to as opposed to other groups in the scene that I see and I know that haven't matured enough for me to feel comfortable right. in allowing myself to be vulnerable as an artist around them. Right. Because their intention isn't necessarily to... Yeah, it doesn't really al- either align or the... I mean, look, you know, at any particular age, especially as an artist or a human, I mean, you know... It's very easy to do immature stuff that really only serves you and is to the detriment of others. You know, I think it's very easy as an artist to be selfish and to not think about, you know, it's one thing to think about an audience, but if you're not thinking about your peers who are engaging with the same thing, I can only imagine that you're closing a whole lot of doors and, uh, and kind of 
either sacrificing sacrificing or misusing available energy for everybody. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and look, look, like it's a very self-serving scene. You know, because like, yeah. because as DJs, where unless you're in a duo or you're in a group, it's yeah. very it's self-serving in a way that it can impact your ego. And, and look, I, like I've been there myself, man. Like right. you know, I I, I I DJed the first year, got a couple of residencies very quickly, and in the first twelve months, you know, I was saying stuff like I can't I can't play a bad set. I was, yeah. I was saying stuff like that. And like yeah, yeah. my friend James Austin, big shout out to James Austin. He's a mentor, actually, that, that actually had a conversation with me and said, listen, man, just just check your ego a little bit because yeah. it, it'll do you in. Basically, he said it'll do you in in a negative way yeah. if, you, if you go about like that. And it was, a, it was a big lesson. I was fortunate enough to be able to learn early on that, unfortunately, some people in the scene, and I won't name names, but some people in the yeah. scene, have not only have they, have they not got that lesson yet, but who knows if they'll get that lesson. And, and if yeah. they don't get that lesson, what is that detriment to the wider scene? Right, right. Yeah, what if they have... Uh, they've, yeah, they've probably um, constricted or stopped the flow of many other kind of things happening. Steve, uh, do you have any kind of reflections on keeping your ego in check as a DJ? Because we all know the heads are huge. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> Oh, don't look at this guy's head. <laughs> I was—I didn't know who to look at then, to be honest. <laughs> we have a very well, deep convos, by the way. Yeah. Uh, well, mate, as your show goes, I'm a very grounded person. Yeah, yeah. I'm a very grounded person, so um, I try my best to not make it about myself, uh, and I just take things as I go. Um, because DJing again is is something that I love doing. Mm. I'm, I don't do it for the money. That's not my day job. Yeah. You know, it's something that I'm passionate about and I'm slowly trying to swerve in that direction. Right. Not in a rush. When I see that there are people who've got, you know, like ego issues or like, it's very easy for people when they get fame too early. Yeah. Or at any stage in their life, they can get, you know, a bit egotistical yeah 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 <laughs> and um, it's not my job to correct it right you know, like but it's your job to uh, keep yourself in check but it sounds like you know some people are naturally have a little bit a little bit less ego to to keep in a check in, in, in that sense yeah. and, and it sounds like you know your mindset behind being a DJ somebody who's like curating or creating this journey for an audience it mm. seems more of a selfless act than something that's like look at me and how good i am you're i mean i'm not sure if if this is true what i'm about to say but it sounds almost like you would prefer people to be having such a good time that they forget that you're there you know that they forget that all of the other stuff is there right that's right i mean uh, back in the days i used to have conversations with my mates um, when they would say if we were to put a curtain in front of the dj deck yeah. Can someone tell who's DJing behind the deck? Depends what the lighting's like, if you can see the silhouette or not. Okay, okay. True. <laughs> but ap- apart from that, apart yeah, from yeah, that, totally. My aim in life was to be that person mm. who people can tell by the sense of sound. 
Right, you, you got... Know, the, you know, let's say if there were five people in the lineup, they can tell who this person is. And right. Not just because of, you know, it's me, me, but it's because of the sound that I play. I'm not a producer yet. Yeah, yeah. So there's no point of having any ego. I'm playing music that's been produced by other people. I yeah. every um, every time that I used to have my own show with Kiss as well. So I would give credits to every producer because mm. it's them who are doing the hard work. We, are like me in person, I was just curating that sound. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's interesting. It sounds like even through the curtain experience, you are not only trying to get the audience to transcend, you know, their body and and so you know their body, but also you. You know, you're trying to like have this experience where it's not even about the image of you. It's yeah, for, you, for your craft and your capabilities as a DJ to be so good that people can tell it's you. You know, by the by the little tricks of the trade, then. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. Um, th- th- that's the goal. Yeah, I don't know yeah. when I'll get there. Right. But I—that's what I strive for. Yeah. You know, just be a better version of of yourself. I mean, there's, um, you know, there's no fight with anyone else. We all are peers, and yeah. you know, just. But sometimes people, you know, like ego does come in. But if it's healthy ego, you can term it as self-respect. A true diplomat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, it's actually his clothes that's keeping his ego in check at the moment. <laughs> um, DJ Hybe, how do you kind of, uh, you know, wrestle or play with your ego as being a DJ? Is that something that you have to be really too conscious of or is it something that's naturally not too much of a problem for you? As um, Henry and Steve kind of mentioned, it's it's kind of inevitable in the scene as an artist, especially when you're starting off young. Your friends around you kind of automatically add to your ego boost, and pe- people around you kind of give you that kind of energy. And a bit of ego in the scene is, I feel, healthy a bit. Um, it motivates you. It makes you confident. It helps you inspire other people. But beyond a certain point, it gets ugly. And if you know where to draw the line and where to find that fine line where it turns a bit sour and it's creating some bad blood with other people you're good Um, and this comes with experience and everyone makes mistakes and as I said I'm still learning in the scene I still make mistakes and I always look back upon stuff and I try to speak to people as well and be like hey okay how was it how was my event I try to get feedback after every, every event good or bad and if people have bad things to say before it used to affect me and I used to not snub them but now I take it all in good stead and I feel like that just comes with time. It's just maturity. You mature over time. And if you want to grow and build a more healthier audience around you and a healthier community, as we spoke about earlier, it's about dropping that negative ego, keeping just the right amount to keep you going and keep you motivated. I like that. What, is it, what does it look like, the right amount of ego? I guess you, you kind of said something along the lines of as long as it's not you know, getting into some kind of confrontational violent space with anybody else. Is that really the, the extent of it? Or what does it, like, what, what's, what's just the amount, what's the, just the right amount of ego? What does that look like? And, and what is too much? What do you think? Well, I, I, I give you with an example. Say, for instance, there's a lineup and you reckon you're fit for a higher time slot. Now, that's a big ego thing with a lot of artists these days and they're like oh no I'm fit to play a headliner slot I'm fit to play 
a better slot. But if you are someone who has your ego in check, you would be able, happy to play an opening slot, get the crowd growing, and get the best feedback from everyone, and not feel bad about having that time slot. And that's something that you learn over time as well. And it's like, uh, so I, I run a, uh, a music collective too, and we have a bunch of artists. And it's, so every event is a bit of a challenge, like selecting which artist plays for what time slot. Mm. But I always tell everyone else, and I think everyone, most of the people in my crew are kind of new to the scene, and everyone kind of wants that top slot. And I'm willing to give it to them. And I'm like, I want you guys to get this spot, get this exposure, get this opportunity. Um, and I'm happy to drop down and get the crowd growing. Even if it's an opening slot, that's it. So as an example, it's about just n taking, the, taking a step back if you have to. And uh, as long as it helps someone else and helps someone else improve. That's great. So it sounds like uh, having gratitude for any opportunity that presents itself, you know, kind of keeping your expectations in check and, um, you know, being in touch with the audience. Like, uh, you know, when you're talking about um, getting feedback from the audience... Is that something that's common? Like, uh, my, my baseline for that kind of stuff is zero. I have no idea. So how common would it be for you guys to go out, talk with the audience? Was that something you did more at the start and less now? Or has that changed? Well, Steve? It, it's very easy when you're functioning in a community because as soon as you finish a set, you step out, you talk to people, you're just socializing. And then there are people who would give you like a general feedback that, oh man, your set was amazing. Yeah. And then there would be your friends or people who are selectors or they love the sound. They, you could always reach out to them for constructive criticism. You know, right, right. Constructive criticism. Sometimes, uh, you know, jumping back onto your previous question, I think when community comes in picture, it's very important that for sustainable functioning, Every element or every entity in that community coexists. Right. There's a bit of a self-regulation within inside of the community, That's I guess. Right. Collaboration. There's absolutely yeah. a collaboration. Yeah. How do you... What's your position in terms of the night? What are you doing to complement the night? Not what are you doing to make the most of your set. But right. Yes, that, but also how does that fit? into the narrative of the night. Yeah. And have you served the narrative of the night correctly? Have you jumped on with the first set and just sent it? Uh, or mm. have you or have you done what you need to do to build the night up so you can hand a dance floor over to the next DJ so they can thrive? Right. And they can propel the night to that next... Because for me, ego's like, if, if I know that I've done justice to the narrative of the night... I can have as much ego as I want. I can step off the DJ decks yeah. up and be like, I just played a killer set because yeah. I know confidently that I've played my role for the function of the night properly. Mm. Yeah. As opposed to me having an ego going, I played a killer set and not worrying about whether that set actually fitted appropriately through the course of the night. Yeah, right. It's the, yeah more about the giving the service to the community uh, finding yourself or arranging with the people around you so everyone can fit into a nice slot. Um, yeah, that's really great. Well, uh, if, if you'd like, if we could segue into um, connections, uh, and for the three of you, uh, we'll start with you, Henry. Um, what's the approach for you guys coming together to organize and coordinate this? You know, what, what, how does, what's the lead-up? What does that look like? 
Yeah, I, I mentioned earlier on that I, I can't talk in a nightclub because yeah. I lose... I've smoked for many years and, like, I, I lose my voice straight away trying to compete over volume. Yeah. So my radio show... Uh, I started my radio show when I was 29 when I tried to get into the scene yeah. purposefully because I knew it would be an opportunity that would afford me to be able to network with other DJs in the scene without me having to be out every night, without yeah. me being away from my kids, without me having to be out till 5 in the morning. I could use this 12pm slot on a Saturday, get somebody down and get more in a 90-minute conversation with them than I could get in three months of meeting them for five minutes on a right. Saturday night. And, and really and, being able to talk shop. Yeah, so that was that radio show as a platform was very fundamental in, in me being able to build my own connections and network. Hey. In terms of connections for us as a trio, yeah. you know, as they've described how we've met and, and whatnot, um, I, 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 I really, again, believe in the idea of paying it forward. I really believe in the idea of using your own profile and platform to be able to prop up people that are others that want to start establishing themselves in the scene. Yeah. I do not see any point of getting yourself into like a position where you just end up being a gatekeeper. It, 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 right. Music deserves more than that. And for me, the fundamental of connections really stem back to the ethos of what house music is and when you look back at the history of house music and the marginalized community of predominantly lgbtqi african-american communities in the south side of chicago and if you go back to where that music began mm. and started from and you look at how house music is so universally loved Mm. And you look at those initial connections of where it started, it starts from oppression. It starts from marginalization. Yeah. I'm Aboriginal. I come from a culture where we've been oppressed for the last 230, 250 years. I relate to that. I appreciate that sentiment. Mm. So I feel a, a strong responsibility to be able to carry the torch of house music in an appropriate way that enables the social impact that it needs to have in the way we connect with one another, allows it to to, to play out the way that it needs to in a healthy way. Right. So you're really paying homage to it um, by by keeping it alive and reintroducing it, not reintroducing it, but, but having it played out in the correct context. 100%. Hey. Any thoughts, Steve? Well, connections for me... Um, when I was in India, we started doing something very similar which was bringing people together mm. and creating an environment that facilitates them coexisting in that space. And the music that is in the background just acts as a backdrop right. for them to be having a good communication, having a great time. Yeah, uh, We've spent a decent time getting to know each other and we really respect each other for you know our thoughts and our belief system. And I believe... Over the past couple of years, we've, we've grown fond of each other, you know, as time has progressed. Connections for us is, uh, or for me particularly, is to be able to recreate that experience for people. Right. They are here, they can communicate, 
and you know it's like minded people coming together great music playing in the background mm. not very overpowering and even if it is people can still communicate they don't have to yell in someone else's ear just to communicate something through yeah. which is something that's rare in you know re- your regular club environment totally so totally that's the point of difference i believe we all are trying to make so incorporating more of a social element element yeah so you, you know using the music more as a social gel instead of like uh the main piece i guess what are your what are your thoughts well the boys pretty much summed it up quite well but i just like to say uh, as being kind of immigrants to the country uh being here for not too long it's it's all, it's very easy to kind of feel lonely in a new place and i think music has been one thing that's kind of brought us all together whether it's with our friends whether it's with friends in uni it brought a lot of my close friends right now together because of music and um uh, we try to kind of constantly create that with our events wherein we do not discriminate anyone and everyone's welcome and we just want to create a safe space for people to just come together and have a good time basically have a enjoyable night and go home and just say wow so whether it's the music tasteful music all of us have our own different styles which we love playing back to back with cuz we literally surprise each other when we're playing and it's the most fun thing ever so we're having a good time uh audience is having a good time just listening to this tasteful music from three different artists and also it's a safe space so everyone feels warm and welcome at our events yeah when when you see you know three friends like 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 the three of us the trio yeah. how how close we are and you see us having fun when we're sharing music with one another that organically translates to the dance floor and you don't and because of that music music becomes the voice music yeah. becomes the center point of communication and the center point of how we connect so if a dance floor can see the three of us having a good time organically building mm. a night and executing a night the way that we want to and they respond in a positive way it's the richest connection you can make without even having to say a word to one another right so like the, the and pre- I'm not good at small talk <laughs> <laughs> the pre-existing organic uh, um, relationship that you guys have kind of acts as a, an, an example or sets the tone for the night and what you're what any one of you are able to do on your own wouldn't be the same for, from the audience perspective as how you guys kind of come together yeah. that's awesome um have you guys experienced kind of uh, djing in other collectives and groups before or is this kind of fresh for you guys well uh, does someone else want to go? I didn't mean to hijack. Go for it, man. Well, I just really want to make a point of mentioning Bloom Collective because, yeah, please. you know, one of the best, one of the most gratifying experiences for me in the scene is to be able to pay it forward, you know, um, provide a platform for, for DJ Hype, Curran, to be able to um, propel himself and then to get the opportunity to headline a Bloom Collective party on my 37th birthday, oh, nonetheless, shit. and playing at midnight on my 30th... Like, hey. and, and it being one of the best sets I've ever played, like, there's nothing more gratifying for me than seeing something like that play out in an organic way where I can step away from that and really feel like not only have I done a good job by the party, but there's that deeper connection that's been forged between us prior yeah. that, that enriches the entire experience even more so. Did you have you want to speak on that at all, or say anything about Bloom Collective? Yeah, absolutely. Um, shout out Bloom Collective. It's basically something my mates and I started. First of all, thank you for that, Henry. And yeah, and 
Um, it's something my mates and I started a year back, and we're going to have our anniversary party in two weeks on the 25th, uh, in fact. So it's we've come together a very, very 24 moons. Group, uh, 24 moons, yeah, shout out 24 moons. <laughs> um, as, and it's another very, very diverse group, amazing artists, people from all around the world, literally. Uh, we literally just came together at, one of, uh, at an event, a uh, doof, so to speak, um, uh, and we yeah, kind of loved each other's music. Um, started playing a lot more these uh, underground parties and then we were like why not make a thing out of this and um, we just came together uh, Bloom is basically a collection of jellyfish and jellyfish was the first ever diff stick that was someone propped up during one of our diffs and we were like boom that's how that's how we're going to start it and um, yeah we've come uh, uh, almost yeah almost a year from there uh, it's it's an amazing experience and we tr- try to create the same kind of environment that we do with connections and the weekend chug wherein again safe space no discrimination, diverse range of music, diverse community that comes down. And um, almost every event, we try and create a place where it's not just the artists, but it's also our friends. We kind of give them an opportunity to grow and develop. So I don't call it a music collective. I call it a music and arts collective. So we have artists from like painters to uh, digital artists um, to photographers, SEO people and we try and get them all involved whether it's website design poster designs and we promote each and every one of them so we want to try and promote art and music as a whole and any sort of creative so it's this one place where we, we do not discriminate whatever you do you do it and we will give you the platform to do it and that's kind of what i want to do with every project i get involved with that's awesome i love that aspect of um incorporating stuff outside of just djs because uh it almost doesn't matter what way you're pursuing, you know, the arts or, or music, you know, you're going to need a team, you know, you're going to need, or at least like a good network because there are, look, there's so many things that anyone has to do as an individual to kind of like get their name out there, to network, to get in the mix, right? So um, when you're able to uh, join these very specific groups and communities like it's one thing to be a part of a you know the bigger community like the general public community mm-hmm. but uh, once you get into these more kind of specialized groups that are really interested in growing and expanding in a in um i mean i mean it's not it's not just about like seeing your friends grow but if you're able to give the people around you any opportunity to to shine and do their thing you know i think too often we we limit who we let in and and why you know and and um that can be that can be to our detriment for sure yeah that's right i mean uh it's really interesting to see all these communities here like you know like evolving o- over time um my time in melbourne i've had an opportunity to be involved with a few communities all of us together and then there's a very beautiful community called the vibe union did you say vibe union yes i did (laughs) shout outs yeah Yeah, big love to vibe union big shout out to them um so there's this a lovely trio tandem reserve Reserve shout outs uh, stp djab and wrath wrath Hey. Lovely, Ten reserve. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We got them on the show as well. Oh, and, cool. Um, I've I've had few shows with them. They're lovely bunch of bunch of people, and um, yeah, uh, we resonate with uh, with the kind of sound that we love. Mm. And um, then, in fact, like I got a chance to kind of associate with Bloom, but something didn't, you know, like things didn't turn out 
prop like the way they were supposed to be for Who some cheated reason. on whose girlfriend? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nah. uh, uh, yeah. Hey. But back home, uh, that's a different story. Like yeah, yeah. We, we, we still run a collective, me and my friends, and we book artists from all around the world. Yeah. We, that's still ongoing. And uh, one of the reasons why I was here, I was here more like a scout. Yeah, right. Because sussing um, the talent. Um, I, I think you meant me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I've, I've been trying to push this guy to come along. Yeah, I was never yeah. in the Boy Scouts. <laughs> but and um, he yeah. tried to find him here, but he was in India. <laughs> <laughs> That's the funniest That's right. thing about That's it. Right. That's right. So yeah, like I've been looking out for good talent that's here that uh, I can bring back home, like back yeah. to India, and you know create that international bridge. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So important to do that, right? Like porting people between countries especially sounds or vibes or collectives yeah. sometimes that's the beauty of a collective now you know it can be uh it can be global you know these these barriers that used to be uh just continue to get pushed down and that's so awesome yeah and you know collectives become even more uh important when you when you consider like the ego as well because i think it's one thing to have ego individually when you're in the wider scene but when yeah. it comes to a collective being able to function effectively mm. being able to execute their parties effectively and being able to like set the narrative of an event in the right way yeah. it takes everybody having to be on the same page yeah. and for them to be able to recognise like I said earlier their position and their role within the larger collaboration for things to go the way that they need mm. to um, totally. so I've never you know like collectives 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 like yeah, maybe like I'd say this is a little collective through the t- weekend chuck, but it's pretty. I pick the people in the scene that I choose to do this kind of stuff with very carefully yeah. for a variety of reasons. One, because my time's limited. Yeah. I've got family at home, um, and and I just don't have the time or resources to be able to put my energy into places that are going to not be healthy for me. Yeah. So I have to be very selective. Um, and um, so I, so that's a bit part of the reason why I haven't gotten, you know, associated myself too much when it yeah, comes to yeah. collectives. Yeah. Uh, and it's not for any selfish reason, like, oh, they're going to interfere with me being able to, like, get myself to the next level. Right. It's just more about going, you know what, I've, um, I don't know whether this crew over here are going to be able to facilitate the right space for yeah. me to be able to have my input and contribute to. And imagine right you've gone through a number of different collectives and groups that have helped you get into the position where you can be yeah, more absolutely. selective and strategic about where you place yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And look like, you know, um, a perfect example, you know, Eugenius, uh, you know, releasing one of my more successful releases through Eugenius. And, hey. you know, one of the blokes that runs Eugenius, like, I didn't think much of him at all, you know? And then over time, like, I, I've actually, I really, my whole perspective of him has changed and he's an example as well of someone who has grown and matured in the scene very well established in the scene but has matured to a point where i really go man i'm really glad that he's become someone who's a bit of a mentor for me you know and and um that's what surprises me in a really great way as well to see people make that shift and make that transition and and gather that self-awareness around themselves and they become rich contributors of the scene mm. and, and, and and I know that we need more of that yeah. as, as more people decide that they can get a $200 controller plug it into their laptop and think that they can learn how to DJ overnight yeah. and hold a dance floor yeah. I saw a, a, a really nice cartoon 
uh, image a couple of days ago, and it was of a, a, a nightclub, and the dance floor had one person on it, and then the DJ booth had 150 people behind it. And I think yeah. that's really that really says so much social commentary around where we are at in 2023. We all want to be, you know, a, a lot of us want to have our 30 seconds of fame. We want to be able to have a platform where we can have our opinion. I'm one of the most opinionated people in the entire scene. And, like, I have mm. burnt bridges right. by being far too opinionated. Right. And I don't know, I'm pretty unapologetic about it because I don't, I don't really care. But at the end of the day, it's about... It's about recognizing, you know, what your place is, where you can contribute, and again, how your ego mm. can fit into it, so you propel yourself without making a mess of, you know, the scene around you. Yeah. So when it comes to um, when it comes to the community and being a DJ or you know just engaging in the scene, what is the role of the venue? Like, what responsibilities does do venues have when it comes to, um, you know, cur- curating, help curating or connecting or networking with the right people to have, you know, like, ex- for example, like what's Ferdy Dirk's role as a venue when it comes to uh, their participation in the scene and community? Uh, I'll throw this to Hybe first. Take it away. Thanks, sir. Um, well, yeah, I think... Much like the community and the artists, another crucial aspect of running an event is the venue itself. And um, um, every time we kind of want to run events, we pick and choose our venues for the very reason that it kind of adds to the whole element of your your party. Um, whether it's the subtleties of the sound system um, to the kind of promotion that they do from their side, um, what kind of reach they have or what kind of community they attract for their events so that way um the, we know that the crowd coming to our events are going to be the people that appreciate the music that that we both like and um yeah just like uh, the venues i've kind of worked with in the past have been amazing because they're always down to meet prior to the event um talk to uh, talkers down to uh, the uh, whether they're going to provide a sound guy lighting guy uh if we need any help in any sense the small things like a green room anything we need a safe space during an event. They'll provide that. So uh, just just going hand in hand with running the event and just kind of working with the promoters, pro- giving us as much as we can. Because at the end of the day, both parties are going to benefit from the event. They are going to build their audience with the reach of the collective or the organizer itself. And we are going to run our event in another new venue, which we love doing. Um, so I think Ferdy Duke has, has an amazing ambiance. Like they're on this alleyway right next to Section 8. Uh, the loft style um, uh, space kind of just adds to the whole kind of uh, grungy raw vibe, but at the same time a cozy kind of intimate setup, uh, which we love. The sound system is amazing, and every time I've come here, I've had a good time. Amazing people here, good conversation. So um, it's these finer things that kind of add to the venue, and I always really pick and choose my venues prior to an event. And sometimes venues can get a bit pushy. They really want you to play a sound that you don't want to play, but they expect from you. And that's when I, it kind of goes sour, mm-hmm. which I don't particularly like because um, as much as I l- like changing my music to meet certain different standards or requirements, I don't want to be forced by when you to play a certain sound that isn't mine. So that can get a bit ugly. But otherwise, I think uh, most venues in Melbourne are amazing and I've only had the 
best kind of experiences. That's awesome. So positive. No stories of heartbreak from venues. Steve, uh, what, what's the role of venues in the community? And if you've got any favorite venues or any venues you want to, you know, comment on yourself, you know, then feel free to go for it. Um, I believe venue p- venues, they play a very, very critical role, very pivotal, actually. And, and the leadership that the venue has defines how the venue is going to prosper because all venues are dependent on patrons to prosper. Promoters or people who throw events or you know your regular patrons are the ones who facilitate that over, over a period of time. Yeah. So if the venue is trying to uh, explore different avenues or like you know do different events, create different kind of artists uh, or sorry invite different kind of um, uh, you know promoters who let's say there's a poetry night, there's a you know, like live music now. Right. There's there's uh, an electronic music night. Uh, you know, like the venues need to be a bit open-minded with what comes. Right. Be a bit more, have a bit of variation in terms of what they allow to unfold in a week, which because hopefully that widens the the nets of patrons you're catching. That's right. So, like hi, like Karan was saying that some venues are very particular about Ooh. dictating. Yeah, right. And that's because of um, what they have seen worked in the past. Right, they're their own known territory. And, and, and they, because they are a commercial business, I understand where they're coming from. They don't want to risk it for the biscuit. You know what I mean? Oh, I know what you mean, boy. <laughs> so you got me salivating over here. <laughs> so, uh, But yeah, like few venues that I really enjoyed working with, um, one of them being Ferdy Duck, I yeah. really love the YBM. Yeah, like yeah. Hands down. One of the finest places to be. Because uh, they care. Yeah. I think. They're, they're lovely. And Ferdy Duck. I love how you said yeah, like a question. Because they care. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you guys back me up? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't really know do. if they care, uh, but they care, right? Yeah, don't they? They do, they do, for sure. They, mm. <laughs> there <laughs> for it sure is. they do, and I, and I love that about them. The radio bar, mm. beautiful venue. Right. Uh, they're very supportive. In fact, Glamorama, Henry put me up to Glamorama. Andrew, hey. very supportive venue. Shout out to Bosco. Shout out to Bosco, big shout out to him. Um, and even the music room in the city. I love the sound. Yeah. Very, like, you know, um, the that's a very good venue to be at. Section 8, very good to be at. Prime, primo. Um, so, but yeah, sure. I do understand that venues have their own, uh, you know, criterias yeah. that they want to fulfill. But yeah. um, if they are more supportive towards promoters, um, I think it's, it's a key that will allow them to, like, you know, prosper, bring more crowd or different people because it keeps shuffling. Mm. People who were partying in their 30s, five years down the line or 10 years down the line, they're not there anymore. Right, you know? right. So it's kind of important, I guess. Yeah. And uh, yeah, be willing to have that open communication and uh, have that, that, that idea that, you know, you know something that they don't know and they know something that you don't know kind That's of thing. Right. Yeah. What's the take? What's the fresh take, Foster? Yeah, yeah. You know, one venue that I've been a resident at for a long time is a venue called Lucky Cock on the corner hey. of Chapel High Street. And, shout out. Um, oh yeah, shout I've out seen, to them. I've seen, <laughs> um, you know, I've seen that venue during COVID. I've seen that venue. Uh, Lucky Cock is a venue where it's free entry 
and it's all, it's it's guaranteed a full crowd hey. almost every week. Yeah. But with that comes this assumption that it doesn't really matter what music you play. Sorry, just one sec. Can you just like wiggle the bottom of your mic, the cable? Yo. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> like, oh. So on the corner of Chapel and High Street is a venue where you're almost guaranteed a crowd um, every single week. But that what comes with that is this assumption that you can play whatever you want and you're going to maintain a dance floor. Uh, what we learned after COVID, we, they, we introduced headliners on a Saturday night. So what happens is you yeah. have a 9 to 11 DJ, then you have 11 to 1, and then 1 to 3, and then the venue shuts. Okay. What we, were, what we were doing, we were having headliners come in 11 to 1. And lucky, you probably don't know, but we've had the same residents in this venue for 10 plus years. Yeah, right. We don't have boards out the front that recognise the DJ names or anything. They just come in week by week and do their job and smash this venue right. better than so many other clubs that are focused solely on the DJs that they that they book and making sure they have a full dance. But what was happening was we're having headliners 11 to 1 that weren't familiar with the venue. They were coming in, playing that headliner set and mucking it up. Just clear, mucking it up. Just clearing so it the out. one to three DJ would come on and have to spend so much time mm. playing tug of war with the dance floor trying to get people to hang around. Right. In the end, what happened was, like you guys said, now nah, screw the res- uh, screw the headliners. Let's just keep it about the residents because yeah. the residents know the venue. And so for me, we, c- we can't forget the residents of venues. That, yeah. that, that It's easy to say, hey, this headline is coming through because their photo's on the flyer. But the residents know the floor. They know the community. They know the patrons. They know the venue. They right. know the music. And, yeah. and so... Give them the credit where credit's due and don't place all the emphasis on a headliner that's going to come in and change the world because quite often they don't. Yeah. yeah. They just don't. I'd second that. Uh, here and even, even back home, it was the same thing because big venues, they are only focusing at the highlight or you know the act that they are calling from overseas because they are paying a big bucks for right. the artist but at the end of the day it's the resident who's bring who's fostering the community yeah he's serving the regulars who understands the regulars having that familiarity between you know any kind of crowd and a performer is probably huge right Tr- trust me man like there's a skill set of a resident is always underrated for some reason because they've played warm-up sets for so many different artists with different styles of music. They've got a wealth, wealth of knowledge, which um, I believe all the venues should capitalize on. Uh, one, one of the best examples, I think, it, was, it, was it Riva, which books filled out? Yeah, yeah, in St. Kilda. Yeah, in St. Kilda. So, you know... Books is one of your Sunday residents, and he, he's been in yeah. the industry for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, they booked Books to Riva, St. Kilda, and he filled out the entire venue. Wow. You know, so that, but Revolver as a venue has always supported Books over years yeah, because they, they know that residents mm. can turn things around because they know the venue in and out. They know what people want. Um, so, yeah, like, v- very aligned to what Henry said. 
I think venues need to start recognizing the residents and, and even promoters. Right. Um, you know, I'm pretty ignorant in, in this kind of field for sure. So, I mean, is it, is it actually that common for venues to not um, have a residency and kind of support that more than, um, than having outside bigger name acts? Is that, is that something that actually is, is relatively common? Mm, or do, uh, or do most venues here in Melbourne kind of understand the importance of having, you know... It's, 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 it's unique because Melbourne's in the arse end of the world. And yeah. we have uh, our seasons are the opposite to Europe. Yeah. And so our summer festival season, where we get the internationals come out, um, is at the opposite end of the year, which is European summer is off season winter. Yeah. And so, you know, when it's European summer, where all the big gigs like Tomorrowland and all the big festivals are happening. You don't have international touring here. Mm. And then additionally, it's Melbourne winter. Mm. And so yeah. you can't rely on anybody but the residents right. to carry and, and ensure that venues maintain themselves in a, in a, in a surplus position for uh. when summer comes they need to make those international bookings that they're able to execute that stuff. Right, so they so help with that, keeping that momentum and Keep that happening. momentum happening. Yeah. And it wouldn't necessarily be like that if we, sh- we matched ourselves to European summer because yeah. we could get the same bookings at the same time of year when the same releases are coming out. Yeah. You know, if I have a release coming out, like I want to like align my release with the European summer, which kind of is a bit of a mind... I can't swear, man. But like, it's a bit of a it's 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 it confuses you because you're thinking, well, here locally, this is not the right time for me to release this because it's yeah. winter and my friends won't want to come out during the cold and come and see me play, and I need their support. Yeah, and so you need to like navigate the fact that we're in the arse end of the world. Truly, and, 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 and because of that, we need we end up paying more for things, mm. uh, not just for the music that we buy, but for the support that the international people. And I've learned this really truly from 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 you, SD, is that um, y- you need to be able to collaborate effectively here with other countries within the Southeast Pacific region to be able to actually get these internationals to come across and play because you need to, it needs to be sustainable yeah. for them in a way and profitable for the agencies and promotion promotional agencies that are in Europe for it to work you know, financially for them to bring someone over here. So right. there's a lot, there's a lot to really be mindful of and the access and the lack of the lack of access and the lack of resources really feed into the, uh, this, this idea of when it does come to our summer, all the promo agencies, all the venues are so hungry to get internationals that the hard work that residents do during the winter to kind of propel themselves into a position that come our summer, uh, give us the opportunity, right, right. that gets stifled by, uh, yeah. you know, un- by the fact that the international have to come in, which is not an issue because that's just the way the world works because we live over sure. here. Sure, not everyone who does the, the hard yards gets served the right reward, I guess. Yeah, more yeah. Or less, yeah. Almost like eight months of the year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're kind of working for, for the off-season for so long and then... When it is kind of your time to literally shine in summer, you know, you've got those international acts just swiping it up. Huge. Or you're just supporting them. <laughs> right. 
getting people. You're supporting them, and then you and then you 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 got to figure out, you know, as a support, like what you can do to support the international in the right way, but also play a set that raises your own profile. Sometimes, like when I, you know, I played after Audio Jack at Glamorama, and like it's about going like, how can I play a set first of all? That makes Audio Jack want to hang out mm. because his set finished at three. Mm. It's the end of his tour. He probably has to fly back to the UK in a couple of days. How can I make this guy hang out without me actually saying to him, "Hang out for my set"? I need to like construct my set as a supporting resident in a way that gets this guy to go, "Who is this person? I'm going to hang out for a little while and watch what he has to play." And then right. he leaves at the end of it. And then all I can think is like, I hope that. The next time he comes here, he remembers, you know, that black guy that played after him at Glamorama. Yeah, yeah. You know, on his last gig of his Australian tour. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's kind a of a bit. There's a different kind of like way strategy that you almost have to bring to the way you you, you approach your gigs here. Right. When it comes to our summer. It encourages you to play outside the box a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, well, just to, to bring it home, I feel like we've really done well here in the loft. You know, we've. We've more than settled in. Candles are flickering. Some of these drinks are looking a little bit empty, you know. We've, uh, we've really got into it. I've learned more about DJing in my whole life, you know, right in this hour and a, hour and a bit. So I appreciate you guys sharing and coming on board. And um, Thank you for having us. Thanks yeah, no, thank you You're so an much. You're absolute G. Oh, I, pr- I really appreciate it. Right back at uh, all of you. Uh, but to kind of tie it up and bring us home, uh, we'll just go around quickly. If anyone has any um, tips or ideas around how you yourself get get grounded, and by that, like, how do you kind of um, keep balanced enough to keep on on the path of being a DJ or just with your life pursuits in general? So what are some some things you do to kind of bring you into your own? DJ Hybe, let's let's hear it. Okay, well, well, I'd say... um, it's always good to take a bit of a step back. Like it's very easy to get pulled into the whole craze of what you're doing, whatever it is, as you mentioned, whether it's DJing, you're an artist, you're a designer, whatever. Um, it's always good to always take a bit of a step back. Um, think about what you've done, what you've created, learn from it and then move forward. So if you constantly just keep going, 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 you can tend to burn out and burning out, is not going to end well for anyone in any any industry, so to speak. So um, that's something I've learned. I, I always like to take my breaks. I never want to overbook myself for a month, for a season. I've found it uh, more often than usual, both creatively and just mentally, it burns me out. So I always like pacing myself um, through my whole performing season. I play two to three gigs a month. That's my kind of like uh, uh, number, like my kind of number I look at but anyone can pick theirs whatever they kind of go with so take a bit of a step back and something I started my whole kind of talk with find a good mentor someone you can learn something from be willing to talk about your wins your losses and listen to what they have to say about it and um, don't let the ego get the best of you so always find a good mentor and be willing to take a bit of a step back that's great. Um, mentors and moments of reflections. Great ways. Great ways to get grounded. Steve, what do we got? Well, um, one one of these gentlemen um, that I met. One of these gentlemen that I met in. You talk about these guys. The, these gentlemen. Yeah. 
Okay. He's two. Oh. And one, one, of, one <laughs> of the other guys <laughs> as well. Like he is um, the Aussiest Aussie that can be. Hey. Yeah. And he, um, he was in his late 60s and uh, we were having this conversation. We were work colleagues and you'd see me stressing out about things, you know. Right. I don't want to look bad because, you know, whatever I do, it comes from a position. And I don't want to, you know, like do injustice to that and this and that. So that guy gave me a very important lesson in life, which was don't be the pilot who crashed the plane. So there's a story behind this, yeah? There's this yeah. pilot who's, fi who's flying the plane and he's running low on fuel. The fuel's burning out and he did not have the courage to tell the airlines or the right. support that he's about to crash. And he kept flying until mm. he crashed. So don't be that person. If there's something that's yeah. hitting you hard and it doesn't sit right with you, follow your gut. Yeah. You know, like, no, this is not right. It's time that I take a step back. I reflect on things. It's very important. Your mental health. Keep your mental health in check mm. you know, as, um, as an artist. Because that helps you to keep your ego in check too. Yeah, having the courage to to share when you when the when the load is too heavy i think that's huge um that's actually a really cool metaphor and example you know uh because it can be one of the most difficult things to do is to vocalize when you are in that moment of struggle yeah. and to uh you know to be able to reach out to somebody in that moment that is it does take some kind of bravery you know i think that's uh it's funny how um to, to, uh, to help yourself, you do have to be in a vulnerable state and let other people in and being able to recognize those moments, right? But, but you know, like, people say that vulnerability is the sign of weak. No, it is not. Yeah, I agree. It's not. No, it is not at all. Like, yeah. it, it is um, a trait of someone who's strong enough to be vulnerable. Yeah, it's, a, it's strength and self-awareness. Yeah. yeah, totally. Because, you know, yeah, sure, you need to be mindful who we are who you are vulnerable in front of because some people might be able to understand it sure know, that that that's that brings in you know whose advice you should buy yeah yeah you know what i mean like so uh to summarize i'd say just keep keep your mental health in check do what sits right with you yeah. don't make it about yourself make it about the craft yeah you just and the race is against not against anyone it's just you evolving into a better version of yourself so as long as that's yeah. there i think there's less room for other things like ego to come in between because you're just improving yourself take constructive feedback yeah know what to receive what to ignore yeah yeah and when you feel like you know the, the tough you know when it's really getting too tough you have to let people in and having the right mentor or people or community around Mutual you is yeah exactly you know, your, your peers there it is take it away henry yeah yeah I, I absolutely agree with with these two gentlemen and um um even what you're saying as well dave so all three gentlemen i really agree with all your sentiments um it's just balance it's about recognizing when your bucket's full and, yeah. and when you need to just it's about developing self-awareness um, for me, uh, it's about knowing when I need to switch off, when I need to um, distance myself, 
It's about keeping my circle pretty tight. I don't have any friends um, that I grew up with that go out. So yeah. I'm not in a position where I can go out and play great set and go out and with my friends the next day and brag about it because they will always keep it around. Right. Like, Shut up, Henry. We knew you when you were, you know, like it's like that, you know. So yeah, it gives some real perspective there. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that I find myself in a bit of a position and environment in, in my oldest friendship circle where they just dig the ground because they're not involved in any of this and they don't care about it. You know, they mm. just like me for who I am. You know, and it's about three pieces of advice that I've received at different. Points of my journey in my lived experience. The first is asking myself the question: Do you serve a purpose, or purpose to serve? Yeah. The second is you'll never learn anything by talking. And the third is to judge the character of a man. You judge them on their ability to come back from hardship. Absolutely. And that's the testament. So yeah, those yeah, three yeah. pieces of kind of advice and philosophies or whatever that have, that I've learned. That's really great. I really appreciate the reflection on um, recognizing when you are at your lowest um, because that is when you are going to need to do things like ground yourself in reality and community and, and, and people around you and, and where you're at and acknowledging, having the vulnerability to acknowledge where you are at if it is this um, you know, this low moment in your life. Because I, I truly agree with you, Henry. Your capacity to rebound, to, to come back, you know, your redemption arc, if you, if you will, all these things are way more important and monumental than the fall, you know. And, and uh, yeah, the fall often is just, uh, it's just an opportunity for sweet growth, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can recognise when those opportunities appear, and you're self-aware enough to, to, to embrace those opportunities yeah. and embed that with, and integrate that within yourself so you can grow as an individual. Yeah. And like, I've got nothing but, you know, all the power to is, you know, all I would say. Absolutely. All the power to you, to you, to you, to. To you and to you, man. And to you, oh, <laughs> to you, to you. This has been awesome. I really appreciate you guys for joining me on another episode of Grounded with Dilly Dave. Um, I really think we got to whatever it could have been that we wanted to get to. It's a beautiful conversation, man. Yeah, Thanks truly. for having us. Really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I think uh, we did this really cool run of what we can do here in the loft at Ferdy Dirk. So, shout outs, Ferdy Dirk. Shout outs, Porsche on the cam. Um, and yes, yeah, stay grounded, you crazy beings of the multiverse. Peace. Catch ya.